There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on a Friday afternoon here in Johannesburg, South Africa. And a very warm welcome to our entire radio family. Thank you so much for taking the time for giving us the opportunity to wheedle our way into your lives, into your eardrums, hopefully into your minds, into your consciousness, and give you something of a lift as we go into Shabbos. And what an amazing and special Shabbos this is. It is, in fact, not just Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Mishpatim. It is also Shabbos Mavorchim. It is the Shabbos where we're going to be herald in the, and announce the Rosh coming Rosh Chodesh, which is Rosh Chodesh Adar, which Bez Hashem will be this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And can't wait, of course. Adar is the greatest month of the year for many. And, of course, therefore, because it's the Shabbos before Rosh Chodesh Adar, we re- have a special reading. We're going to read Pashas Shkolim in Shul tomorrow. And so that just really makes for an amazing, amazing background and aura for the Shabbos. Of course, Pashas Mishpatim <coughs> deals mostly with a great deal of laws and uh, as a carry-on to we just, as what we began in the Matan Torah yesterday. And of course, the very first <coughs> of all the laws that I mentioned in this week's Pasha is, of course, the Eved, the Eved Every, the Jewish slave who is sold because he can't pay his bills, he can't uh, return something he stole. <coughs> and that is somehow chosen as the very, very first uh, of the Mishpatim that we're taught, which in itself is an interesting thought. The Chidah makes it a little bit spicier by saying, if you take the word Eved, every Eved, every has actually the same numerical value, the same gematria as the words Mashiach. But what does that cryptic revelation, revelation actually mean? And what uh, impact should it have, in fact, on our on our lives? Let's try to make a little bit sense of this. So so the Chidah does some amazing things with words and, and letters and introducing us to the concept of the the uh the Ever Ivri. Says if you take the words ki sikne evet evet ivri, so the word sikne says also contains a very, very hidden and kind of cryptic uh, uh message, which is in the words tikne. Tafkuf Nunhei. She says, if you take the first two letters, the Taf and the Kuf, Taf and the Kuf equal 500. Which, if you take then the final letter, the final letter Chaf, so the gematria of that is also 500. Because even though we generally understand that the numerical value of the Hebrew alphabet goes from Aleph to Tuf, 1 to 400, but the letters actually carry on, because there are five end letters, the Manspach, the Chof, the Mem, the Nun, the Pei, and the Tzadi, all are written differently when they come at the end of a word, and therefore they actually add on to the Gematria, where Chof is 500, Mem, and Mem is 600, 
and uh, nun is 700 and pay is 800 and ensadi is 900. So the tough kuf and the nun itself, the end nun itself already equals uh, a, a thousand. Okay. What is that, uh, what does that help us? So he says that's the, so then the, therefore he says the words tikne is in fact in the, in this pasuk comes uh, actually to substitute this letter this letter chaf okay then he says that these three letters the hey the nun and the chaf which are originally part of the word uh, tikne are also a code which are unique to only these three letters of the alphabet because we know that the Hebrew alphabet is in units of tens. There's the single units to ten, there's the tens to a hundred, and there's, and there's the hundreds. Uh, to equal ten, so you could take one plus nine, two, right, two plus eight, base plus chaf, gimel and zayin, dalit and vav, equal ten, and then hay stands by itself without needing any other letter. Same with the tens. Yud is ansadi, 10 plus 90 is 100. Chof, 20 plus pei, 80 is 100. Lamed, 30 plus ayin, 70 is 100. Mem and samach, right, 40 and 60 is 100. And again, the nun stands in the, in the middle. And with the, with the 100 units, so kuf, Hundred and and ensadi nine hundred equal a thousand, right? Resh and n pay is two and eight hundred is a thousand, etc. And uh, and you get the nun again. Then that's that's uh, the the nun. Sorry, sorry. The the chafsafis that stands by itself that again doesn't add together with with anything. So he says those three letters, the hey, the nun. And the chaf are all unique in that they don't rely on any other letters in order to, to, uh, make up a greater, a greater number. But again, what is that have to do with, with Ever Ivri and, uh, and why is that the first example of, of, uh, of the Mishpatim? So the truth is that the Mishpatim of the Torah are, are really uncomparable to all the secular laws that are set up and and formulated by by nations and and governments why the purpose of their laws are literally to protect society from becoming something like uh, the wild west right which was completely uh, kind of sort of void of an, any kind of law and uh, and order the the in fact this kind of Parallels with the Medrash that when Hakadosh Baruch Hu created Adam uh, Adam Arishan, so he says he took him on a tour of Gan Eden, and he said to him, "Look at this most beautiful and, and perfectly symmetrical world that I created. Make sure you don't ruin its harmony." And that really is the purpose of the Shiva Mitzvahs Neinach of the seven Noahite laws, which are the precepts given to the Nations of the world, and of course seven we know corresponds to the 
to the seven days in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the nature of that world and all that the Rabbanishlam wants from all the non-Jewish nations of the world is just keep the status quo and not ruin the, the balance of nature through their selfishness or lust or greed or, or jealousy and their, and their avarice. So the purpose, of course, is in contrast to, to the Torah where the Torah says, it's completely different. The Torah says, but by the fulfillment and by adhering to the different precepts and the different mishpatim of, of, uh, of, of the Torah, so it literally transforms a person into a, being a greater spiritual being, bringing one closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu by, by being Makadosh, by sanctifying one's 248 limbs and one's 365 sinews, the totality of, of, of a person. And another way, of course, in which the Mishpatim bring one close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is by, reala, reala, by us realizing that the Hashkocha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the Mishpatim. For example, we have in this week's Pasha the, the halach of Ayin Tachasayin, literally translated, an eye for an eye. And even though, of course, in actuality, one doesn't actually receive the punishment of losing one's eye, but the, the fact that there is such a, a statement, right, that declares that the punishment for chas v'shalom, for blinding someone, really should have been, that it should have been reciprocated. It should have been what we call mida kenegen mida. It is by this procedure of mida kenegen mida, one can see constantly the yad Hashem, the hand of Hashem, in, in, in the way it's done in, in the, in the tikkun, and not only think that what happens to a person is just a, a coincidence, but rather it's a complete, it's a, it's a, it's a takana. And of this, it's really the mida connected mida that, uh, that we have, that we saw against, against Mitzrayim, that, as we spoke last week, inspired Yisrael to want to come all the way to the desert and, and to be Megayah, right? And as we saw, we saw in the, uh, in, in the Svarna, where the Svarna says that only the Rabbani Shalom can constantly punish Mida Kenegin Mida down to every last detail. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu's intervention right through the Mishpatim can be seen also from the Pasuk that we had in, in, uh, in, in the beginning of the Pasha where it says, uh, you didn't plan it. And Rashi even explains that, that Hashem made it happen, that a person accidentally fell off a roof and killed a person with his fall. Without our knowing, the person who just killed accidentally already had a past history of killing before accidentally, but previously there hadn't been any witnesses to what had happened, and therefore he hadn't been sent to the Emirate, he hadn't been sent to the city of refuge, and, and remained there, which he really should have done, until the death of the, of the Kohen Gadol. The person he fell upon and killed also had a past, 
as a murderer, but again, without witnesses, and therefore he was never put to death. HaKadosh Baruch Hu convenes them both to come together and causes the person on top of the roof to fall and kill the one on the ground, and as witnesses were watching, and therefore each one gets exactly the punishment they deserve. Without Torah, and and the realization of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's involvement and intervention to fulfill all the judgments of the Torah, one would look at the above scene as, as like an, an unfathomable kind of coincidence. However, when we understand that the laws and mishpatim come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then it's no called, then it's no, no, no longer a coincidence, then it's, then it's real. Right? Whereupon HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, intervenes to that, to assure that every single person gets exactly his, what his tikkun is. So, this fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is both the, perhaps honest broker, the, the, the righteous judge and the punisher, so, obviously behind the scenes, is in fact demonstrated in the very, very famous story the, of the, of the weasel and the pit and, and the young couple, which more in Tainus, uh, brings. Rashi and, and, and Rashi and Tosis bring it there. It was, a, a story was a young girl got lost and, uh, at midday she was so thirsty that when she saw a well with a rope tied to it, she lowered herself into the well to quench her thirst. After drinking, she couldn't get out and she began crying. A young man passed by and heard her crying. And after speaking to her, he gave his proposal that if he managed to extricate her from the well, that she would marry him. She agreed, and he drew her up. They proposed to each other and agreed that there are two witnesses to the agreement, the well and a weasel that was walking past them at that time. They said their goodbyes and made up to remain loyal to each other until such time as they were old enough, mature enough, and had their degrees and their, and their doctorates, and it would be time for them to get, to get married. The girl didn't forget. However, the young man got, uh, got married and had a child and or says this child suddenly passed away in a freak accident by being bitten by, by a weasel. And his wife had a second child, and yet there was another crazy accident. This time the child fell into a well and died. His wife demanded an explanation of these very strange deaths, and he put two and two together and told his wife the story of, of the day that he saved the girl's, the girl's life. This incredible uh, uh, hashkocha and then subsequently they got divorced and he went and married the girl he was supposed to etc etc but the hashkocha there is unbelievable we'll come back and wrap it up and tie it to every in a moment but we need to go to the shops so stay tuned this is 11.9 high fm soul to soul on the greatest jewish radio station in all of africa there are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. 
101.9 Chai FM here on your radio in Janusburg on Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashim Mishpatim as we always tend to do at this time in the program to give you the very important time and details you need to know for the coming Shabbos. Candlelighting time is still for another couple of weeks the standard Johannesburg uh, Shabbos candlelighting time which is quarter past six the absolute latest time for lighting Shabbos candles today is at 6.28. Shkia this afternoon is at 6.46, 14 minutes to 7. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 17 minutes past 7, 7.17. As I mentioned, it is Pashas Shkolem and Shabbos Mavarchim. Rosh Chodesh Adar will be Be'ezos Hashem on Tuesday and Wednesday of the coming of the coming week, ushering in that joyous, wonderful month, which is which is Adar, and of course, because it's Pasha Shkolim, there's a special Haftarah, the Haftarah Pasha Shkolim from Lochim Beis that you can find in your Chumashim. So let's just wrap up the, the idea that now we can begin to understand the whole message that the Torah alludes to the Eved Ivri, which is the very first of, of the Mishpatim, and which kind of then resonates and applies throughout the entire Pasha. We brought the chida that this word tikne, which has the key letters of chof, hey, nun, are all letters that show exclusive uniqueness, singularity. They don't have to rely on anything else. And says we can we can return we can interpret this to mean that the mishpatim of the Torah possess the exclusive character in that they come in the form of not only a, a, a not or not at all a punishment, but rather as a as a tikkun to the person and not at all as an act of revenge or or, or yes to pay the loss or the or the uh, or the damage. The concept is even hinted to in the word tikne, which of course also means kitikne of every which means to buy, but it also comes from the word takana. It's a tikkun. It fixes what up. And that's why the Pasha of Mishpatim is right next to what we had at the end of last week, the building of the Mizbeach, because just as the Mizbeach is the kapara, is an atonement, is a tikkun for any avarice that a person has done and enabling one to be able to come closer to the Rabbanishtalim, so too all the Mishpatim in the Pashas, a general Yalfus, a general limit for all of the Mishpatim, that they're all there for the purpose of Tikkun Adam, of fixing up, of perfecting a person and bringing him, bringing him to, uh, to closer to, to, uh, to HaKadosh Baruch. We were dealing with last week the laws of Yom Tov and, and in some of the general laws where Yom Tov is either similar or slightly dissimilar to the laws of, of Shabbos. We gave some examples. We'll just <clears throat> complete that discussion and, uh, and, and move on. We said that uh, since on Shabbos one has a permit to do things for the purpose of human uh, 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 consumption, so Chazal, <clears throat> Chazal uh, permitted, just like the Torah, a kind of loosened certain restrictions when it came to pr- uh, pr- uh, preparing food, so similarly, the, the rabbis also 
uh, loosen some of their prohibitions. We said, for example, uh, uh, we said that if you, since you can shecht an animal on Yontif, you're allowed to put the hide of the animal in a place where people are going to step on it, even though that is the very beginning of the processing of that, of that hide. We said you could take off the door of a, of a cupboard, let's say, which has foodstuffs in it that you might need for, for Yontav, and in certain conditions, let's say, to avoid the contents of the cupboard being stolen or something, one might even be allowed to uh, put the door back in a temporary, in a temporary kind of, uh, uh, uh manner. Uh, similarly, it was, uh, uh, if you have a table or chair that you need for the meal that somehow came apart, one could put it together on Yom Tov in a non-permanent way. And even though on Shabbos that would be forbidden because we worry that you might actually put it together in a permanent way, on Yom Tov where we are more lenient when it comes to needing furniture for, for the, uh, for, for the meal. Uh, some say that in the same way as uh, Chachamim forbade us to have any kind of benefits from work that a person did uh, in violation of the halacha on, on Shabbos, so too it's forbidden to have any benefit from any work done in violation of the halacha on, uh, on, on Yantav, and that, that is the, in fact the opinion of the of the Rambam. However, some say that since that the whole law of Yom Tov only starts as a, as a law, it's, it's by, by nature a more lenient set of laws. So Chazal didn't set up these restrictions forbidding someone to have benefit from any work done, uh, uh, in violation of, of laws of Yom Tov on, uh, on Yom Tov. And at the end of the day, everyone uh, agrees that if uh, some work activity was done in violation of the halachas of uh, of Yontif, but if that is something that is needed for the purpose of food, so then we wouldn't have any. It wouldn't be permit, It wouldn't be forbidden for a person to have benefits from that at, uh, at at all. We know that besides the actual thirty nine uh, forbidden activities. On Shabbos, of which most of them are still forbidden on the, on on Yom Tov. Nevertheless, we have other, both positive and negative commandments that we shouldn't do any kind of a gainful activity, any kind of malacha on on Shabbos, even through the agency of our animals. Right, not only aren't you allowed to do work, you, your children, your servant, your maidservant, and even your animal is uh, is restricted not to do work on, on Shabbos, and you can't allow it to carry burdens for you on on uh, on, on Shabbos. Right? As it says, that your your animals should also rest on uh, on uh, on Shabbos. That is uh, uh, quite clear. And uh, for the same way we said that uh, a Jew is not allowed to lend or to rent his animal to a, a non-Jew that uh, unless unless you actually tell him that it should rest on uh, on, on Shabbos. As regards Yom Tov, however, there is a discussion amongst the 
authorities what what laws apply to animals on Yom Tov, and we're going to get to that in one minute. Let's go pay some bills. This is 101.9 Chai FM, Soul to Soul. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a jiffy. There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 Chai FM. Ravan 01.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul on a Friday afternoon here in Johannesburg. Thank you so much for lending an ear to our proceedings. Here we are talking about the question of whether or not your animals are required to refrain from work on Yom Tiv or not. So it is actually a uh, a discussion amongst the the Poiskim, whether or not it is forbidden. There are some who say that Yom Tiv, the Chazal never uh, uh, told us to restrict from letting our animals do work on, uh, on Yom Tiv, and therefore one would theoretically then be allowed before Yantiv to rent out your animal to a a non-Jew, even though you know full well that the non-Jew is intending to use it, let's say, to to plow his fields on on Yantiv. And similarly, uh, a Jew would be allowed to allow his his animal to carry, let's say, all the food or all the utensils that would need it for 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 Yontif, on the one condition that it shouldn't uh, 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 be seen that it's doing it in the normal sort of weekday activity. The Ramah, the Ramah makes a stipulation that it shouldn't be looked like like it's derech chol that it's being done in the same way as as during and uh, during the week. However, most of the paiskim are of the opinion that in the same way as it's obligatory to let one's animals rest on Shabbos, so too one is commanded to allow one's animals to rest on Yom Tov because except where noted, as we said before, the laws of Yom Tov are exactly the same and mirror completely the laws of, of Shabbos except for in those malachas which we said were directly needed for the preparation of, uh, of foodstuffs for, for Shabbos, and those things are, are mentioned explicitly what is, what is mutz. And therefore, we said you're not allowed to give your animal to a non-Jew where you know that he's going to use it to work on, on, uh, on Yontiv, and you cannot load up your animal with all the delicious Yontiv food to take it to your host or wherever you're going to be going for the, for the Yontiv meals, and even though you yourself are allowed to carry things that you may need for Yontif, but to load it onto your animal is in fact, is in fact, uh, uh, forbidden on, uh, on, on Yontif. What about, God forbid, if someone passes away, if there's a, a dead body on, on Shabbos or, or Yontif? So we know that in terms of the laws of, of Shabbos and then also Yom Kippur, so we're not allowed to involve ourselves in the burial of a of a dead person at all, and we're not even allowed to move it because in reality that that body is is uh, actually actually mukta. If obviously there's a a worry that the body could be 
uh, uh, put in a state of of where it's going to be maligned, where it's going to be uh, uh, not treated properly, then, as we said, you could put a, a garment on it or some other object which isn't a muktzah, and then you could then move it to a place where the body will be able to be looked after and preserved with uh, with dignity until until Shabbos until Shabbos is over, and you can't even on Shabbos Yom Kippur you can't even ask a a non-Jew to be involved in the uh, in the burial and the burial because the very act of asking a non-Jew to do something on Shabbos that is forbidden from, uh, 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 from the Torah is in itself a violation of of the of the words of of uh, of Chachamim. and even in that situation the the honor the dignity due to a a uh, a dead uh, a dead person that we should actually we should actually desecrate for him the Shabbos or or, or Yom Kippurim we don't we don't do it. However, on Yom Tov, Chazal allowed us to request a a non Jew to even get busy and 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 involve himself in the burial of a dead person because since. The Torah itself was more lenient in the laws of Yontiv and allowed all kinds of food preparation on, on, uh, on Yontiv. So the Chachamim also kind of negated the, the Issa that, uh, that, uh, Chazal set and they allowed us to ask a non-Jew to do whatever is needed for the burial of a dead person. For instance, uh, they could sew the, they could sew the shrouds, they can prepare the, they can prepare the, the, uh, the coffin, and, and dig even the, the, the grave, and the Jew can do whatever other preparations are needed for a dead, a dead person, which don't involve Torah obligations, for instance, to do the Torah, to wash the body, to, to carry it, to, 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 uh, Accompany it as long as it doesn't involve going out of the the Tchum Shabbos and to put him in the uh, in the in the grave and then the non-Jews can then cover the 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 grave uh, afterwards. We'll see that Yontif Sheni is even slightly slightly more lenient, but the time doesn't allow us to lab- elaborate on that. Please God, if my memory serves me, we'll carry on with that. Uh, please God, in next week's next week's year. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for being part of this amazing radio family and this kind of virtual classroom. And so as we go into this, as I said, this very special and unique Shabbos, please enjoy it. Please have some great time and family together. And to each and every one of you, a beautiful and warm good Shabbos.